Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Lucky Episode Number 13 with Dr. Todd Dewitt. Dr. Dewitt shared some really great perspective all around authenticity and vulnerability and what that means, stemming from his keynotes and books like Show Your Ink. And so I think there's a lot of great stuff to learn here. In particular, number one, how to safely, gradually reveal more of your authentic self in professional settings. Two, the power of vulnerability and storytelling. And three, the optimal approach to take when embarking on self-improvement initiatives. And you can check out these resources and transcript at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP13. Dr. Todd Dewitt is an internationally recognized leadership and success expert. After beginning his career with Anderson Consulting and Ernst & Young, he earned a PhD in management from Texas A&M University. He now speaks to thousands of people every year around the world, his video courses are rated number one by professionals in over 170 countries through lynda.com at LinkedIn. He's been quoted everywhere from the New York Times to Forbes. And you can visit him at his home on the web at drdoit.com. And here's Dr. Do It. Todd, thanks so much for appearing on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hey, my pleasure, Pete. Well, so that is an impressive bio with many credentials on it. Can you tell us something fun that we won't find on the bio? Something fun? Yeah. I mean, my favorite activity almost sounds boring, but to me it's fun, and that's being a dad. I have two uh, responsible yet still precocious mm -hmm. boys, 9 and 13, and they're very involved in sports and other things. And when I'm not on the road, I get to play taxi driver and helper to them and all their activities. And frankly, that's my crowning achievement in life. And what are their activities? There's sports nuts. A uh, little bit of that they get from me, some from their mom's side of the family, but they're all over dominating local baseball and basketball leagues and trying to make their own way. All right. Well, congratulations. And, and if they don't appreciate it or express that now, they will later. And uh, that's fantastic. I hope so. <laughs> You've got a lot of irons in the fire, it seems, uh, now and historically uh, doing many things. Could you maybe open us up by sharing a bit of the story for uh, how you came to be interested in all of these uh, tidbits associated with life and professional skills and authenticity and just uh, walk us through that journey a bit? Sure. It's Well, we all have a different journey. Mine goes like this. So I fell in love with studying business as an undergrad. And I, I did what you're not supposed to do. Uh, I loved school, wanted to stay with it, went straight through from the University of Memphis to the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and did an MBA. And then I knew I had to get a job eventually, like we all do. And I wanted, I had some entrepreneurial leanings, but I wanted to get a big brand name under my belt too. And I ended up going that way, first with Anderson Consulting, or what is now called Accenture, uh, and then Ernst & Young. And working for those major organizations made it clear to me business is a passion, a fascination for me. It also made it clear that I wasn't a traditional player in that space. And what I meant by that is being an insider in a large hierarchy wasn't the best fit for me. I'm a cantankerous, loud, energetic, entrepreneurial type, and I knew I needed to find a different way to enjoy uh, business. And that led me to think about something I thought about for years, uh, getting a PhD and studying it and advising from the outside. So I did that. Went to Texas A&M, got a PhD in management and 
loved indulging my dorky side, studying it as a scholar, studying people and leaders and teams and what they do at work and why, and using that new status as an outsider to become an advisor in different ways to corporations. And, and I eventually got a job at a school that I loved, where I stayed for 10 years. It's called Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio. And I just loved being there. And I had a blast teaching MBA students for 10 years. And then, Pete, something very weird uh, to answer your question finally, it happened a couple years into being a professor. You know, I was doing well, winning awards, earned tenure, all that. But then the phone just started to ring. And former students, at first, it was former students, hey, I'm a manager at so-and-so now, and we've got a meeting or a conference we're working on. And, well, the guy last year was kind of boring. I remember you're loud and funny in class. Would you come out and, and give a talk, tell some of your stories? You know, and so it began, and I did that for free for, for several years until someone changed my life when he booked me for a gig, and he said, wait a minute, what's your fee? There you go. <laughs> and I had never even thought about that, and slowly I started earning money, and then the gigs became very numerous, and fees became something that would approach having a, a real income. And so I eventually had to make a decision to focus on it full-time. I retired as a senior tenured full professor, and and focus on on writing and speaking full-time. And then you never know. It's an interesting question. I'll try not to go too long, but you never know where life's going to take you, and you have to be open. And so I let go of the professor thing. Very hard to do, and I've been enjoying speaking and writing. Uh, and then other things start to happen. I've got ongoing conversations with people in the television world, which I don't know if they will ever go anywhere in terms of being a, a talk host or a a business reality personality. Those are fascinating things. And, and just when I thought I, I, life was getting interesting, you read the bio, you did the research. Of course, you know, I was lucky enough to meet the people at lynda.com. Now I'm making all kinds of videos and contacts around the planet because of the amazing people at lynda.com. So just when I think I knew where I was going for the next chapter, a new one starts to write itself. Well, well, thanks for, for sharing that. And I do want to talk a bit about the lynda.com pieces on a, a couple dimensions. And one is, so you got the the little claim to fame as being the, the two-time, is it's mo best-selling author? Or is that like also mean like most viewed uh, modules? Is that kind of synonymous there? You got it. Those are synonymous. That means that at one point in time, across the millions of users in 170-plus uh, countries, there can be only one most popular in a given day course. <laughs> it's, it's like Highlander. You cut off people's heads. <laughs> it could be only one. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Uh, could resist. Well, so I'm curious then, and so you know, feel free to toot your own horn here either in, in terms of your own perception or what you've heard from viewers on lynda.com, what is it, do you think, about your style or sheer prolificness that results in, in you having accomplished this feat? Well, it's a great question. I have a similar answer to, the, to people who ask me, hey, how do I become a speaker? I like what you do. How do I do that? Well, uh, you've just got to study yourself and great speakers in different uh, contexts and become a better speaker. You said the word, uh, you used the word style, and that's that's spot on. I say, whether I'm talking about Linda, certainly the Linda people wouldn't want me to say this, and we're very close, and I love those guys in case someone hears this. <laughs> but the, I would say the same thing about Linda as I would say about speakers and what differentiates the good from the great. There's tons of folks who want to be full-time speakers and can barely uh, get a few gigs lined up. And then there's a... You know, there's those of us who do it full time. Is it because our messages are so much better? No. And that is the affront that would, would you know, shock some people. No, 
the messages uh, are very similar all around. There's been nothing new created under the sun in many, many, many eons. The difference is whether or not you can look in the camera, in the case of Linda, or look in the eyeballs of people sitting in your audience and make a genuine connection by being vulnerable and authentic and sincere. And when you do that, it's amazing how much they want to listen to what you have to say. Oh, I love that. Now, well, tell us, what are some key principles or tactics or takeaways or things that one should do to become vulnerable and open and, and more prone to making those connections? Well, uh, lots of things. Well, first one that pops into my head is authenticity. Uh, what I find in professional life in general, and I find this in speaking uh, as well in terms of the speakers that are out there, uh, is that we often work hard to add the polish that we think is necessary to look like a quote-unquote professional while, in fact, not working as hard to project an image that is a real reflection of who you are. And what common sense uh, and some good science suggest is that people respond to authenticity. People like real. I've used that term many times. It's part of one of my uh, go-to stories in my current keynote. And in fact, my latest book called Show Your Ink, which is kind of about authenticity and related notions and why they're powerful in life. And the truth is we are all projecting those polished images so uh, hard so often that people really crave the real person, not the image you're managing, but the real person. So for me, just as one example, as a speaker, that means that every gig, whether it's a firm you've never heard of or standing on stage in front of people at ExxonMobil or Ernst & Young, I'm wearing black, usually black, Doc Martin shoes, blue jeans, and a black uh, shirt, usually a, a button-down tucked in. I may or may not have shaved, and that is just who I am. Right. And the sleeves are pulled up, and the tats are showing, and, and that's just who I am. That's my version of authenticity. It's not a brand I created. Uh, mm -hmm. I just became my brand, and I love to encourage other people in professional life, or whether you're a speaker or just a person in a cube, to find your own honest uh, version of, of authenticity and watch how people react to that. Oh, I love that. And now there's lots of, I think, fear or alarm bells can be triggered or fired off associated with that. Like, I'm in a professional environment. Like, can I really just show off I, uh, tattoos or, or wear sure. whatever? What are kind of, what's your response to that? You know, it's a great question. I love uh, preaching the way I preach because it's a goal uh, people can aspire to. But where do you start? That brings, brings your comment into play there. And I say this uh, to everyone, especially young people who want to say, I am who I am. This is the way I've been <laughs> saying to you. And, and this is the truth. Every performance context has a set of norms, rules, regulations, call them what you want, and you have to understand them, learn them, respect them, and then, and this is one of my favorite punchlines, you've got to earn the right to deviate from them. And here's a great thing I love sharing with everyone, especially 20-somethings, it's amazing what you can get away with when you're great at what you do. And yes. so if you want to wear blue jeans or show the tats or the earrings, whatever it is, if you are a go-to, value-added, indispensable, they-can't-live-without-you resource, it's amazing how they'll tolerate those eccentricities. I like that so much because it's funny. It seems like a lot of times people tolerate highly competent individuals who are jerks, <laughs> and, and, and that's what we tolerate from them. And so you're just saying, well, don't be a jerk, but instead just be you. And if you're so great at, in terms of like the competencies and delivering, that's cool with them. 
You know, that's a really interesting insight. It's a whole other topic that, believe it or not, I was writing about today. Uh, jerks. And we very often uh, tolerate horrible behavior because they do have really, really hard to replicate skills. And, and that's sad. We should not do it nearly as much as we do. But it's a similar principle. You're right. I'm not talking about jerks. I'm talking about good people simply being a little more expressive and genuine about who they are. And you will get away with that the better you are at your job. And so it's not about if I were to understand you correctly, you're not just getting away with it, but you're saying it is in fact superior. You say there's some real science behind that, that these kinds of things are associated with genuine connections and, and good positive results. Could you share uh, some of those data? Sure. Well, I mean, both are true. Sometimes you're getting away with it, meaning someone who doesn't like something about you tolerates you, such as someone who doesn't like uh, tattoos would tolerate me when they see the value that I add. Uh, other times, you're you're really converting people and changing their view of an issue. Again, just to stay with tattoos, which is kind of part of my brand. Sometimes they go from not having an opinion or having a negative opinion to having a positive opinion because of the type of person you are. And that's the connection. People, back to the science, will follow someone or respect someone if they're competent and confident and have a title that makes them have actual authority. But... They will follow much faster, stick with you much longer through adversity if they know and respect you as a person, not just a professional, as a person with integrity and character and some interesting uh, characteristics, not just a boss with a title in a role above them. One is sterile and legit. The other is human and warm and legit. Only when they see both sides do you get a team that is truly maximized. I guess it's so funny. It's almost an odd question, but that's my default go-to. I like to dig in and see the hows and the tactics and the practices and the, the action items. And so in some ways you're just saying, just just be authentic. So in a way there's almost, is it fair to say, there, there's not much you really do. You just kind of are. Well, kind of. Uh, you have to, I, I advocate openly the toe in the water. Remember, every performance context has rules, regs, and norms, ways of behaving that are sometimes written down, very often not written down, but are apparent based on behaviors in the group or the organization. And, and I, when someone hears me preach about authenticity and they say to me, well, everyone's wearing suits, I can't just walk in wearing jeans. Well, no, you can't. But what you can do is put your toe in the water and wear something in the world of suits that's different, that you enjoy, and then maybe perform so strong that you can talk to your boss, your friends in HR and others and talk about why this company would be smart. What's the business case for instituting some, some casual attire days? You can find a way based on your performance. You can find a way to start pushing that conversation forward. So to your point, no, you never just jump in and go, here's the real me. <laughs> but you can, with the toe in the water, slowly but surely get there if you're a good enough person and a great enough performer. All right. And so tell us, what are some other key takeaways in Show Your Ink we should know about? Well, vulnerability. So uh, great bosses are no different than, than me in terms of communicating with people at some level. Everyone thinks you're supposed to lead with competence and confidence, like I mentioned a minute ago. I love to say it very clearly. Those things are important, if not vital, but they are not enough. If you truly want people to listen, they need to see that human thing. And vulnerability is a big part of it. Bosses do not like to admit what they don't know or mistakes that they have made. I'm here to tell you that what you don't know and the mistakes that you've made when used correctly are 
utterly amazing at building human bonds between people mm. because they want to know that they being the people who follow you they want to know that you're human and, and imperfect just like them they can see the accolades the awards and the accomplishments but they also need to see the hard work the screw-ups and the learning moments if you want them to be as as forthright and following you as possible i love it so now you're you're telling me and the world, I guess, that you've got more to gain than you have to lose by sharing your mistakes. Are there any uh, certain qualifiers associated with that? Absolutely. I love to joke that you are not supposed to follow my advice uh, twice a week. That makes you very strange. Oh. <laughs> You're, but you are, you are silly not to follow my advice twice a year, just to pick a number. Now, every leader and every group is different. What the right number is is going to vary probably widely. Less is more with my theory here, but it works if you find a way to talk about the project that you lost. The time you got fired, I do it with audiences just to make a point. And, and you know, leaders model the way. Hey, let me show you by making fun of myself. And I tell them about the time when I was 16 that I got fired from the local frozen yogurt shop because I was caught giving away product to my friends and other mistakes in my life. And they're funny and they're embarrassing and they were useful learning moments. Every leader has them. Too many of them hide them. Your goal once in a while is to figure out how to openly use them to build a bond with the team. Oh, that's fantastic. What else? In terms of connecting with an audience? Well, yeah, I think you know, sharing your failure seems like a brilliant kind of often overlooked thing that we might uh, tend to not do because we're scared. And it's just sort of a counter normative. Are there any other practices like that? Well, I would back to being personal, vulnerable, personal. You can make fun of yourself like I was doing mm -hmm. just a minute ago. And even when you're not making fun of yourself, you can talk about uh, issues that matter to everyone when you're trying to, whether you're a boss running a big meeting or me on stage, issues that matter to everyone. So, for example, I've got a, a story I love about the power of the glass half full and involves some things my father taught me during his battle with cancer. Well, guess what? Love of your parents and dealing with illness. These are profoundly universal topics. So if you can make your message delivered, number one, through story, to answer your question, stories are emotional and they seal learning better than any infographic ever could. <laughs> so so make them uh, use stories and make them personal because the more personal they are, the more authentic you appear and the more relatable you are to the people listening because general issues such as the ones about my dad are things people can relate to. And I know that because gig after gig for years, they come up and tell me their version of these stories and thank me for being so forthright in, in talking about personal issues on stage. Oh, fantastic. Great stuff there associated with authenticity and the connection and how that's the bigger point. At the same time, I'm also going to go into the content point. Within the lynda.com stuff, what would you say are your most viewed, shared, transformative nuggets uh, within your portfolio of lynda.com offerings and why? Well, it's kind of a tough question because I've got 33 courses, more than anyone else in that space by a long shot, and each one's got lots of parts. So here's one answer. One answer is the Management Tips series is by far my most successful, and I think I know the reason. That series is not a course for 30 minutes or an hour and a half, which most are. It's a series of, I don't remember, 100 plus, three-minute, give or take, quick 
rants, if you will, <laughs> by me on, on bite-sized topics. So it's, it's instant, practical, useful, tried and true things on a given topic that someone can use quickly, anytime they want to, 24-7, digestible on any device with a connection, even without a connection, because they can download now and, and, and view later. So I think I could tell you the topics that are most popular are the most humanly universal. Now, for example, I'm grateful that my new manager fundamentals in my managing teams course, I'm glad that they've got 20,000 plus users so far each. But you know what? There's a reason that the time management course and the stress course and a few others that are about life skills have bigger viewership. And it's because they are fundamental things in life people struggle with and would love to have simple, honest, practical advice to help them with. When you combine practical content, this has been tried. Let me give you one example. If you're trying to... If you're trying to improve yourself, self-improvement, wonderful classic uh, issue, most people look at themselves, which guys like me recommend they should do, and they reflect in certain specific ways, and they realize, yes, I am imperfect, and there's about 45 ways I probably should change. That's overwhelming. That's scary. My efforts go nowhere fast because I can't do all that. That's just too much. That's a mountain. Well, what I do is remind people every mountain is conquered one step at a time. So personal improvement and change does not happen by identifying 20 or 45 ways to move forward. It starts with a legit needed small win. One or two things. That's it. What are they? And what are the practical ways you can change your behavior tomorrow to address those one or two things and move them a step forward? Now, when you do that, that's data. And it makes the way you think very different. And it makes you believe more steps are possible. So what I just did ranting here with you, just kind of ad-libbing, is a very practical a take on how to get someone who's feeling cloudy about an issue and apprehensive about an issue and get them focused on a simple place to start in a very believable, doable way. So once again, you take good content with a communication ability that's really strong, boom, views go up and up and up. Beautiful, beautiful. Is there anything else that you want to just make sure you put out there before we shift gears into the fast faves? You talking about Linda or in general about success? I get, I'm thinking as you're imagining a group of folks in their late 20s and are kind of hungry and, and growing and, and learning, developing. Is there anything else you want to make sure you sure. put out there before I kind of move into a sort of a structured boom, boom, boom list of questions? Sure. Absolutely. Let me just tell them, I'm glad you think you know everything. I'm glad uh, you're young and full of energy. I want you to realize that the ones in listening right now, the, the folks who are going to be amazingly successful compared to the rest 20 years later are the ones who learn to admit that they don't know much compared to that which there is to know. And the game is not about knowing it all. It's about learning on a continuous basis. And when you do that, as opposed to thinking you somehow know something, it's not about knowing nearly as much as it is continuous learning. That's the group that succeeds. So stop bragging about your degree and realize that your degree is just step one. Perfect. All right, well, let's kick it off then with the fast faves. Uh, Number one, can you tell us about a favorite quote, something that inspires you again and again? The unexamined life is not worth living. I'm not sure if I got that right, but Socrates or Plato, one of those, I love that because I believe most people are unspeakably lacking in reflection and folks who are successful look in the mirror no matter how much it hurts. Yes. And how about a favorite study, a piece of research or experimentation that you find yourself thinking about or citing again and again? Wow, it's so hard. I mean, I, I'm a recovering scientist. <laughs> um, i got to pull one. 
I would say that I'm, I can't remember the scholar's name, but if you Google this, anyone can find it. The marshmallow experiment. Oh, yes. One of those little kids and who could or could not resist the extra marshmallow. It's an amazing comment on how human beings, when they learn the ability to think long term and not just short term, or they think about resisting, indulging just because they can, and they wait in the service of long term goals. Well, what the study suggests and common sense suggests is the kids who could resist it long-term understood goal-oriented behavior more and became far more successful than the kids who gobbled up all the marshmallows. Excellent. How about a favorite book? Got a bunch. Just one. I would say, let me give you a classic. I love one of the few books I've read twice. I think that's a tiny short list for most of us. The Goal by Eli Goldratt. Oh, that's so was- fun. Such a great book. I was forced to read it by an operations professor, undergraduate uh, business degree. Was mad that he said, go read this over the weekend. Loved it. And have referenced it in its teachings many times. Definitely worth uh, people checking out. I always think about those scouts uh, chugging up the the mountain with the the slow guy. (laughs) It's a good visual. (laughs) How about a favorite website or online resource? Well, of course, uh, Linda, but that's mm-hmm. a paid resource. Well, I'll give you two that I love, and I, I, I admit my bias here, but they are both very popular. This is not me promoting a, a product or making a dime, Pete. Uh, I was a, a founding editorial board member of a fascinating HR leadership-related website called HR Examiner, and the thought-provoking daily writings in different ways that come out there are worth your time. The second one, where I was also a founding member, is called Switch or Shift, and it is one of the most popular leadership-related blogs in the planet. It's won lots of awards, and the writing there, I, I think of as a fast company style. You know the magazine Fast Company? Yeah. I think of that style kind of defines switch or shift for me, and both of those uh, folks should check out. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. And how about a favorite habit, game-changing personal practice of yours? Well, I, I mostly, not universally, practice what I preach. I am human, I admit it. But I love micro-rewards on a daily basis. And what I mean by that is, hey, just because I want to go to this place over here for lunch today, I'm not going to do that unless I agree to define some work product that will get done and then I get it done and then I've earned a lunch. Otherwise, forget about it. Maybe tomorrow if I earn it then. But I love giving myself small little things to shoot for based on legit performance standards. That's great. Unless that thing is a shower and you keep missing the mark. (laughs) Fair enough. How about favorite tools? Are it gadgets or software or frameworks you use often? No, I'm a pretty simple guy. I mean, I use, uh, I'm I'm a Mac uh, junkie. I love their products and their general tools that come built in. I also love old school. Uh, I I like sitting down when I'm on a phone call, not with an iPad and writing on the screen. I love the feel of pages. I've got from my clients who give me gifts, I've got these little tiny uh, books. One of them I'm using right now is Black, my little black book where I write down all the conversations with, with clients and I think something special happens when we write, and for the people listening who haven't written for a while, give it a shot because it's a unique way to communicate your ideas into a medium, and it'll make you think because you're not used to doing it as much anymore. Yes. And any favorite time-saving tricks? Well, I can tell you what works for me in terms of prioritizing every day, and of course, everyone's different. I tend to say, all right, what's the monster under my bed? What's the big bear, the big thing? I got to get it done. I, I take that as my first, you know, for target practice, straight up, go after it. So I find that once I mentally get over the hurdle of facing the biggest task and then go kill it, make some progress on it, whatever it is, writing something or a big project call, whatever it might be, that everything else mentally feels great after I slayed the big dragon. 
Wonderful. And, and how about a favorite sort of nugget that when you share it uh, to an audience, you see heads nodding, uh, notes being taken, retweets occurring? Uh, what would be some of those things that you share? Well, why don't pop up? It, probably, probably one of the most popular is a saying I've been, I've been using for a couple of years now. In high-performing teams, candor always trumps civility. Now, I could go on forever about what that means, but I think it's fairly self-explanatory, and it's true for individuals as much as teams. Civility is beautiful. Candor is even more important. Oh, I love it. And how about a favorite role model, someone that you look up to and who inspires you? Well, I'm going to be cheesy here. Hope you don't mind, but I'm going to be very honest. I've thought about this for years. I've written about it before. I'm going to go with my dad. He's not with us anymore. But but the reason I say that is because not because of business accomplishments, but because of how he changed his life. He used to have a, a very bad drinking problem. He became an amazing guy for the last decade plus of his life when he got uh, control of that habit, got rid of that habit. And, and that was a model to me that proved real transformation is possible. Not a joke at all. It's very possible. And he gets credit for making me believe that's true. Beautiful. And favorite way to find you? If folks want to learn more about you, what's the best place to send them? Well, the easiest is just my main website, drdoit.com. It's D-R-D-E-W-E-T-T.com. Okay. And as a final thought, a favorite challenge or a parting a call to action for those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Well, I'm going to double down on what I said a little while ago. This whole career thing, you need more than just dollars you're chasing. You need purpose. And it's not a sprint to the next promotion. It is a marathon about real accomplishments that involve things that benefit others, not just yourself. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Dr. Todd Do It. it has been a real treat. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. My pleasure. Take care. You too. We'll help you find that interesting. And if you haven't already, you're going to check out lynda.com and, and some of those great management tips and other pieces along the way. And also, of course, drop it by to see the, the transcript and items linked and references and notes at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep13. Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. <laughs>